Well, good morning again. Uh, I'd like you to actually grab your Bible, uh, pull that out, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. If you do not have a Bible or a phone that you can look up the Bible, if you just put your hand up, we got some Bibles that we can hand to you. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, it's in the New Testament, about halfway through the New Testament. And I, I don't, we don't do this a ton in this way, but I, I want to, it's really important today that you, uh, no pun intended, but that you understand and you're able to chew and digest the meat of this passage today. So I would like you to read it yourself, just on your own. Uh, just take a few moments and read through that entire chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And just when you're done, just look up my direction. That way I know that you're, you've read that and, and we can move on, okay? About spiritual growth. So we all have a lens by which we see life, by which we see things, by which we form our opinions, by which we see the world, by which we see God, by the which we see the relationships in our life. And that lens that we wear, that sees everything through that perspective, changes. It changes based on our age or time or experience. Um, now, this is a controversial uh, subject, conversation today, because we're talking about a never-changing God and truthfully, a uh, God-breathed, God-inspired, every word preserved supernaturally, never-changing word. In an ever-changing culture, with ever never-changing doctrine or beliefs, but yet in the fluid of life, in the river of life by which we live, and grow, more importantly today. Our lens changes. Let me illustrate uh, from a, a worldly perspective. The, the way you saw the world, or the way you saw yourself, when you were at age 11, is different than when you were at age 22 and 42. Am I correct? Like, think about that, and just in your own mind for a second. Like, how did you see the world when you were 11? <laughs> or 8? <eight>? Or... <laughs> Maybe I should really zoom in on, how did you see the world when you were 17? Like that really has an interesting, uh, that could be an interesting conversation. Or whatever age you're at now. But the thing is, is that so many times we as Christians or we as humans in the human experience, we think that right now, whatever age you're at right now, whatever place you're at right now, whatever you're experiencing right now, the lens by which you see everything is right, is correct is immovable. And even if you're like a really kind person and you're like, oh, I just love dialogue. I love debate. I love seeing other people's perspective. Honestly, if we're all, if we're real, we're all just stubborn, stuck in our ways, right? Because we're mixing some never changing things by which, that with the very lens that changes how we see everything, how we believe everything. And so today, I think Paul is challenging us with this thought with this lens. 
and with this practice by which we grow as Christians, and not just as we grow, but today, as honestly, the point is not so much how you grow, but how those people next to you and people in front of you and behind you in this church, in the body of Christ, grow. Because I think what Paul is really drawing out is that growth isn't just about knowledge. He's actually stretching us to something bigger and greater than just knowledge. I, I put it this way. Growth, what Paul is saying, growth may not be a step forward in knowledge, nor a step back in compromising our freedoms, but maybe a step off of our soapbox so that others can grow. You're going to hear that a few times. Let me say it again, because I want you to grasp this. Maybe growth is not a step forward in knowledge. Maybe it's not a step back in compromising your freedoms or rights. Maybe growth is a step off of your soapbox so that others around you can grow. And I love Paul, because like, literally, this guy was, he was, he was pretty like, straight edge, straightforward, black, white, this is the way it is, I ain't pulling any punches kind of person. But he does something in this passage that is monumental, that is forever changing, not just the way we live, but the way Christianity is is spread. How God uses, through the power of the Holy Spirit, our lives to impact others so that they can grow, so that another brother or another sister in Christ can grow. And the pitfalls that we create unintentionally for others because of what we believe or what we stand on or what we hold true to. So pick it back up. Look at verse 1 one more time. Thank you, bud. Verse 1 says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of this process, or excuse me, that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. No one's knocking knowledge, including Paul. But in this moment, in this context, in regards to food, he's saying that knowledge of it, the practice of it, this is what you've learned and what you've practiced, your religion, your doctrine, your beliefs, it, in this case, puffs up. But love builds up. So now all of a sudden, he's taking the doctrines and the beliefs and the practices and the religion and all the things that we have built in our mind, in our heart, and we've practiced with our life, and we've tried to impact this world for, and we've, like, we've carried the bullhorn. We've, we've held up the big signs for our doctrine and what we believe and what is right, and this is the path, and you got to step here, and then you got to step here, and you got to dance this way, and you got to wear this, and you got to do this. Like, you got to, in this case, not eat this. When if you do that, then it, it's gonna, everyone's going to come flooding in the church. Everyone's going to come running to you like, man, you live your life, your, your life so regimented. Man, I want that life. I want that religious life. I want that so bad because like you got it all, like it's tight, it's together, it's, it's spelled out, it's perfect. I want that. No one has ever done that. Never. And Paul is pointing that out. And I'm sorry I'm passionate about that. Because this has, like, affected my life in many, many ways, and I think it has yours too. That all of a sudden we think that our crap don't stink when we have got our stuff together and we've dressed a certain way or we've checked a certain box or we've, box, or we've posted a certain thing or we've, we've, we've waved this flag or we <clears throat> voted a certain way 
If we've done a certain thing, then everyone will see that I got all my stuff together. And they'll just come flooding and want to know what this Jesus is all about. Nope. Paul pumps the brakes on your doctrine. He pumps the brakes on your religious practice. And he goes right for the jugular of your mission to others. He goes right at you. But he doesn't do it in a, in a, a forceful, kind of like I just did. But he, does it, <laughs> he, does it in a, he does it in a gentle way, and he does it through example. He does it through example. As you read at the end of the chapter, just let me jump there for a second. Paul, his bottom line is this. I will abstain from something I can do, but I'm choosing that I should not do it so that it'll help my brother, so that it won't be a pitfall. And you're like, if you've read this passage, or maybe, maybe you don't know a whole lot about Jewish culture, Jewish history, or in this, this case, first century Jewish practice, you're like, really? They can't eat meat? What's up with that? <laughs> I'm out. Like, like that's crazy. But you got to understand, let me just kind of walk you through how we got to this point. Because again, he says, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So is he completely tearing down knowledge? No. Is he, is he completely tearing down the law? No. And, and that's one of those questions, like, pastors get asked all the time. Like, well, Jesus came, so, like, we don't need the Old Testament, right? Like, we don't need the law, right? What? Like, where do you get that? If anything, grace has just highlighted the point of the law and how Jesus fulfilled it. And it's this beautiful thing that he brings up. And if anyone imagines he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But and if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that the idol has no real existence. And there's no God but one. For although there are many so-called gods in heaven and earth, as indeed there are many gods and many idols, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through the former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and for their conscience is weak. So what does that mean, weak? Strong and weak. Is it calling out the weakness of other people? No, it's simply calling out the newness of their spirit and their walk with Christ. It's not saying they're weak. So I think even in this passage, we've used things like weak. We've used things like the practice of what we eat for them, um, and we've used that to beat them over the head with, rather than what Paul is really saying is that this brings freedom. Even, even pumping the brakes on our religious and Christian liberty, even that, even that surrender gives us freedom. You see, when you're in Christ, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, like literally, there's nothing in this world that could actually hold you in bondage. Nothing. And so, why are we living our lives? Why am I living my life fighting 
for rights or freedoms of this, that, or the other. And I'm not talking in that moment. I'm not talking politically or racially or any of that sort. I just mean our own desires, our own wants. Why are we fighting relationally with everyone around us that you need to do this and I'm going to tell us I need this, I need that, when Christ has truly set us free. He set us free in every way, shape, or form, not just eternally, but now. The abundant life that he calls out and he's given to us as a gift now. That Christian liberty is so freeing. But even in pumping the brakes, let it liberate others. Let it free others around you, even by you pumping the brakes. So, <laughs> I said that, uh, that sometimes the lens by which you see life and your perspective changes over time, right? Would you, would you agree with that? Your perspective of, of, of things you've been through or experienced? Um, I, I was, as soon as I wrote that down and, and I was thinking through that, I thought about um, a Bible that I still have. Um, I had when I was a child, and uh, it was King James only, right? Um, but I looked at this Bible, and I looked at, like, the New Testament and the Old Testament, and I noticed that above every book in the Bible, like, I wish I had a whiteboard to draw. I, I wrote my signature. I was probably, probably 10 or 11 years old. I wrote my signature above every book of the Bible. Yeah. It was a cool signature. I wish I could show you. But it was like this. So it was like a sharp C, sharp E. So it was like lightning bolts. And then Corey, Eric. But then this is what topped it off, right? Because sports was a big deal. Um, I wrote my number. <laughs> number 11, all right? Every chapter of the, or every book of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Corey, Eric. Lightning, number 11. Now, why on earth would I do such a thing? Like, isn't that ridiculous? Like, I look at it now, I'm like, really? You're a grown man. Like, that makes no sense why you would do that. But it made perfect sense then, right? And we do all these kinds of, you do it too. Now, like not, you're, let's face it, your signature is probably not as cool as mine. But you do things, you do things in your life that like you look back on, and you're like, why did I wear that? Or like, why did I say that? Why did I think that? Why did I like that band? That's ridiculous. They're horrible. Like, like all these things, we look back at our life and we see these regrets or we see these, maybe not regrets, but just kind of like this. Like your first thought is kind of like, whoa. Like, I don't really think that way anymore. Um, now, here's what I would encourage you. This is not a popular conversation to have in regards to your, um, your doctrine. Your understanding of Scripture and your understanding of God and who He is and the Holy Spirit that's filling you and Jesus that came to die for you and ultimately God the Father that created all things and is ultimately on the throne and He never changes. But we change. And this culture changes. His Word doesn't change. And so those are the two things that would be eternal. I remember uh, like the most uh, nerdy professor I had in Bible college and he's like, he'd always say, there's only two things that last, for, only two things that are eternal. He's like, the word of God and the souls of man. Like he would say that all the time. The word of God and the souls of man, just like that. And I'm like, all right. But I got it. I remembered it, right? That was a while ago. And he's right. Like the word of God never changes. It's eternal. And even when Jesus came to earth, it was, it was the embodiment of the entire word of God in the flesh form. It was God with skin. It was this amazing moment where he brought that to us. 
He brought a new way. Now, do you remember Jesus got murdered by, essentially, by the Jews, by the pastors and the priests of the day? So let's not forget that, like, when Jesus introduced himself as the Messiah, I've come to save and redeem the world. They're like, no, you're not, and they killed him. And even he used his murder, his crucifixion, the worst way that you could die as a symbol of freedom and hope and redemption, eternal life. Think about this. This thing right here, like if it was 2,047 years ago, you'd be like, you're a church? Why do you have that at the front of your altar? It'd be ridiculous. But he redeemed the symbol, the very thing that he came to do to save the world. They didn't receive him, is my point. It was so radical that they were like, this is crazy. Like, Jesus, don't you know, don't you know the Old Testament? Like, don't you know what it says? <laughs> like, like, they're saying that to the word that has become flesh. Things change. God's word and God does not change, but things change. And let me illustrate what this means today for meat. For meat. Today, as we celebrate communion and ultimately the life that God's given uh, us through his body and through his blood that was shed and, and broken for us, um, it's a remembrance of something that he did. But that wasn't a new idea. In fact, Paul, and when he's talking about eating meat, we, today we could take this, this eating meat and you can, you can, you can substitute that out for lots of things in our culture, and obviously, if you don't eat meat in this room, if you're a vegetarian or somewhere along that spectrum, like, that's okay. We love you. All right? We can be friends. Um, we'll go eat at the labyrinth. All right? They don't have meat there, I don't think. Like, we can, we can be friends. That's not what this is really about. Um, and if you don't eat meat because of religious practice, I doubt that's why you don't eat meat. But for in this, in this case, these guys were not like, well, I don't like what that to the animals, and so I'm not going to partake. That's not what that was about. Can I explain for a second what that, this is about? So back, uh, you guys remember, um, remember we talked last week about Adam and Eve. We talked about all those like early moments of how the fall came and sin entered the world, and then, and then you fast forward way into Noah and the flood and the animals two by two, and, and it was all just this pretty like non-snowy moment where all the animals came in and they floated away and lived happily ever after, right? And then essentially that was God pressing the reset button on the entire world. And when they came about after that and people began to produce themselves again and, and on and on and on, God had made a promise long ago to Abraham that he would establish a nation through him. And, and in that nation, in that moment, he gave him the promise that he would have more... Uh, more children, more sons than there were stars in the sky or sand on the seashore, right? Um, it's this idea that he would establish a nation through him. So he wanted to establish the nation of Israel. And so that was God's people. That was God's nation. It, was st it still is. It's still the point, the analogy that God is using to communicate his plan of rescue for us. But the entire Old Testament lines out what that means. And so when civilization started over, when everything started anew, and things began right from the giggle, started to get a little chaotic again. God sent the Ten Commandments. He sent the law 
He sent all these practices. If you look at it's your Bible, the book of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, that like first section of the, of the Bible past Genesis, you, you have Exodus, and you have all these, these processes and laws that were instituted. This is why. Because they liked rules? No, it was like this. If we're starting from scratch, if we're starting from scratch, we're going to pick the things that are beneficial to our society. Things that will give us health and life and that will fight death and sickness. That's just a natural cause, even to this moment in 2017. And so for them, through God's laws and God's desire, he said in this time, part of the law was that you don't eat meat. There's lots of things that I've created to eat. But right now, you're not going to eat meat. Like, it was considered unclean. It's just considered unclean. And so that's, that's why uh, there's a, well, I won't go down that road. Um, when you read the word, you see that that was a part of their practice. The table, the table by which they sat to eat was more than just a table. It was an altar. Think about it. Their table was an altar. That the very food that was on their table was a sacrifice of the earth its life given up, even if it was a plant, or even if it was a fruit, the moment it's plucked off the tree, the moment it's pulled out from its root, the moment that that animal dies and it's put on the table, that thing died in order, death came to that thing in order to bring you life and sustenance. It's this beautiful picture that, to the point where in Jewish culture, they would have this practice of before they started to eat the meal, they recognized that on the table... This altar was a sacrifice. This, and not to get too in-depth of like the fruit and vegetables, poor life, but they would look at these, the fruit and the vegetable and they would realize that it's a sacrifice, that that thing died to give me life. And they would stop before the meal and they would give thanks to the one who gave them that thing to give them life. And so you gotta understand that this is not Guys, this thing about meat, it's not about food. It's not about, well, I'm going through the drive-thru and I might pick this or I might pick that. This was not just food. This was, this was sacred. This was a way of life. This wasn't just sustenance to something get in their belly. This wasn't, a, honestly, this wasn't even about necessarily health or calories. This was about a sacrifice of something that died in order to give them life. So they made this practice that they were not going to eat meat because it was unclean. But guess what? Time, culture, changed. In fact, God's practice and his mindset of this law changed. This is where it gets a little controversial. So if you read Acts chapter 10, Peter there's a lot happening in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius and Peter and how these Jews were considered clean and any Gentile was considered unclean. They were not God's chosen people. They were not the people that were released from bondage. They were not the people that God prepared a promised land for. They were not the people that were going to re be redeemed and go to heaven. They were not. This Jesus, this Messiah that came to save us Jews was not for the Gentiles. In the moment. 
And then that's the purpose of Paul. But before Paul, there was a Jew named Peter who was quite significant in the early church. But check this out. Peter had a vision in Acts chapter 10. I'd encourage you later to read it because this is where God literally, there's no other way to say it. God changed the law. God changed the practice. For a moment, yes, but also for Gentiles and for all of us, by the way, we eat. So the story goes like this. In Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter goes up to the housetop to pray, it says. In Acts 10. And he's at the top of the roof. He's praying, and it says that he became very hungry. It was about the sixth hour. He became very hungry. And it, this, this is where it kind of gets a little bit um, supernatural. He falls into a trance. Now, you could discern this as being hangry or perhaps some type of craving. But the Bible says that he came into a trance. And it actually says that he received a vision from the Lord. And this was his vision. This is what he saw with his own eyes. This wasn't like, I'm imagining it. No, he literally saw this. He said he saw a sheet coming down from heaven. <laughs> Just imagine, like, he's hungry, right? He sees a sheet coming down, held at four corners. So basically, imagine making a bag out of a sheet. And in the sheet is all animals, all four-footed beasts, it says. Now, if I were to take everything that, that every animal, and I were to put them in a sheet and hold them in the four corners, a hole in a bag, it goes without saying, the metaphor is that they all start touching. The dirt of the pig is now touching the dirt of the chicken and the chicken and the cow and all these other crazy turkeys and deer and all these fun animals y'all like to eat, all right? Now, here's the end of the vision. God says to Peter, <laughs> how many hunters in the room? Okay, you're scared because you're like, wait, I don't know where he's going with this. This is your moment of redemption. Are you ready? God says to him, rise, kill, and eat. God says to him, rise, kill, and eat. Now, like some of you hunters and like, we're Americans, are like, yeah, do it. Kill that thing. Smoke it. <laughs> like, you're, you're, you're already hungry. You're like, wrap this up, man. You can't talk about food and meat and get through this, right? Um, Peter's response, this, follow me. Peter's response is, I can't do that. God says we can't do that. He's, he, he's arguing God's law with God. So later in the chapter, was this about his belly? Was this about, like, was he supposed to imagine, like, was this like a KFC bucket floating from heaven down? And he was just a mat. Like, was this about that? Yes, in some ways. But in most ways, it reveals it at the end of the chapter that Peter went into a home of a Gentile and shared Christ. And they, got, they became saved and redeemed by the gospel. And you and I are here as Gentiles, saved and will have eternal life because of that moment. And God used an analogy of food. All right, some of y'all hate my analogies, all right? 
God uses it. I can too, all right? So back off. He uses that analogy to change everything. So when Paul says we have the Christian liberty and the freedom to eat meat, and, and, and then he, uh, but he's like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm actually going to choose not to eat it. Not because I'm holier than you. Not because I'm pious and I'm super spiritual. Check this out. But because I'm mature enough to not define myself because of my Christian liberty. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And you can take food and you can replace that with a lot of things. And chances are you've already done that right now in your mind. That could be alcohol. That could actually be food. That could be how you spend your money. That could be, should I drive a nice car or should I drive a crappy car? That could be, should I love sports or, or not love sports? Should I, should I, we do this, right? Here's what I'm saying, and here's what I believe Paul is saying. Stop it with the soapbox. Stop it with your political perspectives, that you think that is the way, and that that is going to bring all the people to Christ. Paul is saying, maybe it's you pumping the brakes on your soapbox. Because knowledge, yeah, we all get it. You know a lot. But maybe it's your love that will build instead of your knowledge. Growth comes like that. Growth is about those moments. Growth is about those moments where you pump the brakes. Growth isn't just a step forward in knowledge. It's not just a step back, losing or compromising your perceived freedoms in Christ. It's stepping off your own opinion and soapbox so that others can benefit and grow. Um, if this is about spiritual growth, Paul, this isn't Paul's, this is not Paul saying, hey guys, this is how you grow. You grow by figuring out whether you can eat meat or drink alcohol or watch this or do that or do that. He says this is growth. This is growth. Discernment. Have enough discernment. Because after all, the Holy Spirit of God is filling you and dwelling in you. He's helping you think. He's helping you discern. He's helping your actions. He's helping your, like, your worldview and your perspectives of what you do with your body and what you, how you live your life. And he's, he's setting, hear me on this one. He's setting aside your personal growth for a moment to help the church help your brother and your sister because the context of this is not hey he's not going to eat meat so a bunch of people get saved that's not the context he's saying I'm not going to eat meat so that my brother and sister won't be confused or have doubts because like it used to be really bad and really wrong and unclean for me to eat meat so you know what I could argue I could go on tour like, hi, everybody, my name's Paul, and by the way, I'm an apostle. Yeah, I used to kill Christians, and now I'm, I've, I've got a cool book. It's in the back. I'm going on tour across the country. Check it out. 
um, here's my message. Um, y'all need to start eating meat because it's okay. God said, he told Peter, Peter told me, like, we'll work this out. God changed his mind. Y'all just start eating whatever you want. In fact, we're opening up a new restaurant and it, we're going to have this, 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 this. That's not the platform by which he stood. That was not the soapbox by which he stood on. Growth was about Christ in his brother and sister, not about his soapbox, not about what he thought, not even about how his uh, theological perspectives came to, a, to be. Are those important? Absolutely. Do I have them? Absolutely. Should you have them? Absolutely. But for a moment, he's saying publicly what you're debating, what you're posting, what you're talking about, what you're like arguing about, what you have like gotten rid of certain relationships because they believe a certain way or they post a certain thing. That's garbage. If Paul didn't do it with meat, why should you over something that 80 years from now is going to be not a big deal? Sin is sin. Stand for the truth of God's word. Speak it. Live it. But there are some things, let's be honest, there's some things in the practice of how we live, in the practice of how we do church, that are just gray. And I've lived my life, I've seen it in so many abusive ways, where something gray has been made the law. Legalism has destroyed the American church. Now to the point where the American church is like, ah, ah I don't know where to go because for a couple of decades, all it was was some guy in a suit. Forget that I'm wearing a suit. It was some guy in a suit uh, jacket in the front saying, hey, special announcement. You don't need to have any discernment anymore. Me and the other leaders of the church have decided what you can and what you can't do. What you can wear and not wear. What you can eat and not eat. What you can watch based on this rating, this rating, this rating. And don't you dare watch rated R movies unless it's about Jesus being crucified, all right? We've labeled it. We've, we've got a booklet in the back, actually. Um, we'll call it the book of discipline, maybe. We'll put it in the back, and we'll tell you what you can do and what you can't do. Sorry, was that below the belt? Sorry. <laughs> We're going to tell you what you're going to do. And guess what? If you don't do it, Jesus is watching, yes, but we're watching. And you know what? If you sit in a certain spot, if you worship in a certain way, if you give a certain amount of money, man, oh man, that's in the book too. And you will feel, if you do it, if you do it the right way, if you do it this legalistic way that we're, we're telling you to do without discernment, Guess what? You're going to feel really good. Now, in reality, are we supposed to feel good about what we do? Generally, yeah, but as Christians, are we supposed to feel good and righteous about the way we live and the way we believe and the way we theologically align ourselves? Heck no. You're to feel righteous because of Jesus Christ period. That's it. That's it. That's growth. Because he doesn't change. And his sacrifice doesn't change. This phrase kept echoing in my mind that Christians are a band with one song. And that song is Jesus. It's Jesus. 
It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. And if we've made that song as Christians about something else that's not having to do directly with the gospel and the freedom that Jesus has offered, then we are wasting our time and we're a clanging gong because we do not have love. Our knowledge puffs up, but our love, Paul says, builds. Do we want to build? Do we want to grow? Do we want to spread this amazing message? Yes. Have your theological perspectives. Know it, the depths of his word. Know what he says about predestination. Know what he says about speaking in tongues. Know what the word says about this, that, and the other. All these things are so important, and they're so valid to the Christian life, but they are worthless if you don't have love. And you know what? Get off the box so that others can grow. Because growth isn't always about how fast you're growing. It's about how fast they're growing. That's what the church is. We're, a, we're an awkward, three-legged race all day long. Have you, have you done that? Like, it's awkward. But that's what the church is. Speed was never the point of the church. Rapid growth was never the point of the American church. It shouldn't have been. Isn't. Sure isn't for conduit. Unity under the never-changing gospel, the never-changing word, and the never-changing God that we worship. That's what unifies us, and that's what spreads it. And that's what the city needs, guys. That's what mission looks like. That's what growth looks like. Because here's, guess what? <laughs> you're growing, and you're growing, and you're growing, and you're growing, and you're growing. We're all growing, but we're growing at different paces, and that's fine. Based on experience, it doesn't mean you're better or you're holier or you dress nicer or you give more. It doesn't mean that we're in rank. We're all level at the feet of the cross. We're all redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So if you come in here and you've ever felt like garbage, you've ever felt like you don't add up because of this, that, or the other, well, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. Because if anybody makes you feel that way, you need to come talk to me. Because if anybody's not welcome, that attitude is not welcome. Christ has redeemed you. He set you free, and that's growth. I have a picture, and just a few minutes left, I have a picture I would like to get up on the screen because I think growth has everything to do with this part. Um, Y'all with me? Is this thing on? There's a picture that I want you to see. Um, now, this is, uh, this is not my wife. This is a picture of my wife, right? Uh, no, this is my wife and I. Uh, this week, a picture was taken, and I thought it was a great illustration because it, it was very personal. And I want you to hear me on this. So, like, uh, this is in our backyard, down by a creek. Now, um, <laughs> my summer uh, has been busy, and I, to the point where mowing and, like, even basic things haven't happened. Um, <laughs> like that should happen. Um, and one of those things was early in the spring, I had a, uh, a buddy of mine come clear out a bunch of brush so that we could um, have easier access to the creek so kids can go play and whatnot. And part of the brush was this um, bamboo junk, this like weeds and stuff. And um, I tried so hard. Like we had, a, we had an excavator tear it down 
I put weed killer on it, it wouldn't work. It wasn't working. It was still growing back. I even took a weed whacker, and I stood on the top of that very hill by the barn, and I'm like dangerously redneckly white, like I just, and I'm chopping these things down. I'm doing everything I can to get rid of it. It drives me nuts. It's disgusting. But right there, it's beautiful. It actually, I mean, other than my beautiful wife and my beautiful face, it actually, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, it actually makes the picture. It actually is the backdrop. In fact, it's funny because if you see those white things kind of over in the weeds, and you see that like barn in the back with the big giant open space, yeah, that's another thing that gives me an ulcer. Every time I walk by, I'm like, bro, you got to fix your door, your barn door. Fix it. It's only been broke for like three years. And yet it's the center of this picture. And those white things right there, you see them? It kind of looks like maybe even flowers, right? You know what that is actually? It's actually uh, garbage. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's actually garbage. Um, hey, I don't think my son's in here. One of my sons, Bud, you see all that garbage that's on the ground? It ha was holding flowers, but now it's garbage because the flowers are out of it. It's just sitting in a pile. I need you to go throw most of it in the garbage, and what can be burned, throw in the burn pile. Simple. Simple instructions, right? 20 minutes later, he's throwing the garbage over the ledge. Are you for real? Are you for real? Like, you're just throwing the garbage. Just throwing it right there. It's going to just disintegrate. So the next, no, no, it was that same day. Like, we're never down here. That same day, the photographer comes over like, let's go down and take some pictures over there. Why don't you guys stand right here? And my first thought was, are you serious? There's garbage and there's, there's weeds and the stupid door. Got to fix the door, dude. Get it together. What if, what if the things that we try to cut away, run from or destroy in our lives that we think is garbage and what actually makes the picture what you think is going to be bad actually is a framework for beauty. That's growth. Your brother and sister that may not, that are weak, they, they may not understand what Calvinism is. They may not understand what speaking in tongues is. They're like, yeah, of course I speak with my tongue. Like, like they may not understand that. Knowledge puffs up. But love will build the bridge. They may not, you know what? You have every right to drink a beer. You have every right to have a glass of wine. Or you have every right to not. You have every right. I've never had a drop in my life. But you know what? What if all of a sudden me not having a drop wasn't about me? If you only knew the people you went out with, dying. They're devastated. They sat all week trying to not drink that very thing that you're shaking around and holding and posting and proud of your Christian liberty because you can have or not have. 
I'm not trying to make it about alcohol. And Paul's not trying to make it about meat. What I'm encouraging you to do is that we have these camps, these sinner um, belief systems that we hold on to that we think will help us grow. If I just hold on to this theological, if I just read this version, if I just do this, if I just listen to this person, or only listen to this person, this diet of spiritual growth, then everybody will understand and will grow because of it. That's not what's happening here. Paul is saying growth, maybe it's not about stepping forward with knowledge or stepping back and compromising your freedoms and beliefs and convictions. Maybe it's about, maybe for growth, maybe it's about stepping off your box so that others can grow. Just practically as we close, I, I want to encourage you because I, I think this is, again, just like last week with talking about marriage and sex. Um, I think, and if you missed that, it would be probably good for you to listen online um, just so you have an, an understanding that that love is not about control. Like when we choose to not puff up through knowledge, but we choose to love and build up, it's not about controlling. And even in a debate, and even in a, a political perspective, it's not about, well, I'll prove them right, or I'll prove them wrong. I'll prove myself right. Like you actually don't win. You actually don't win. But may you take a breath and pause and respond as the Spirit asks you to respond. Because guess what? Things change. Things change. And you know what? What you disagree and what you're maybe upset at me right now, maybe in five years or later, you won't be. But here's what I do know. Just like your perspective that changed from when you were 11 to 22 to 42, here's what I know. Is that there's brothers and sisters all around you that right now, unfortunately, I, it breaks my heart to think that your frustration at me or disagreeing in what I have to say is more important than your brother and sister growing. So my challenge to you, husbands and wives, fathers and mothers and friends, is the same challenge I give myself. Let's love by helping them grow, by doing the hard work. Hard work is love. The hard word is, is accepting them. And over time, the Holy Spirit and His Word revealing the truth. So maybe for some of us, it's a simple like, right on. But maybe for some of us, it's challenging. Maybe for some of you today, um, you just really need to ask the Lord for help. Maybe this isn't a moment where you need to come up and pray at the altar or need to come talk to anybody about it. Maybe this is where you lean into faith and the Holy Spirit that's filling you. Put all the weight on that. God, what would you have me think? What would you have me believe? What would you have me... This platform of life, this social media, this the, the clothes I wear, the things I speak about, what battles do I pick? Jesus is the battle. He is the flag that we wave. He is the hope. He is the one that levels it all. He is the one that redeems. He is the one that sets us free. And as we take this moment and as we come and we participate 
Pastor Cameron is going to come help me as we participate in communion. It's this moment where you understand that his sacrifice, he laid down his life. He laid down his body as literally a meal sacrifice to be consumed. His death is offering us life. So Paul's saying if, if, if you're if Christ was willing 